JV Knowledge Podcast Network. On episode 88 of the InsureTech Geek Podcast, we are talking about merging cyber liability and cybersecurity with Brian Fritton from Havoc Shield. The InsureTech Geek Podcast, powered by JB Knowledge, is all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. We'll be interviewing guests and doing deep dives into specific tech we see changing the industry. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech, so enjoy the ride and geek out. All right, it is uh, another Friday. Uh, it is a hot Friday here in Texas, in San Antonio. I am Flying solo again. Uh, this is Rob Galbraith uh, from the Insure Tech Geek Podcast, and uh, happy to be back of last week. So we've been kind of alternating ward after I was traveling last week, and uh, my co-pilot James had to fly solo in the last few weeks. But uh, it's and we're getting all the rain, so it's uh, pretty miserable uh, to be out there. And it's exciting to be here with you once again. Um, we're hitting triple digits, which is crazy uh, here in Texas in May, and uh, I'm a little bit worried about what the summer is going to be like. But hey, Aline, uh, you are coming for some in t-shirt and shorts. Uh, so with me today is Brian Fritton from Havoc Shield and Brian from my previous home state of Michigan today. So where where are you coming to us from? Yep, that's right. Thank, thanks for having me, Rob. Uh, I'm in Ludington, Michigan, on the west coast of Michigan, a little beach town uh, with a bunch of farms and orchards around really beautiful place to grow up but uh, we are holding on to the the gray and the rain and the cold of winter a little bit more than I, I would like to so I'm jealous of your your shorts and t-shirt yeah yeah uh, Ludington's yeah it's a, it's a um, beautiful area and it's very serene kind of out there but yeah it's definitely cold you get a lot of lake effect snow um, growing up in the oh, eastern yeah. part of the state I always said that we always got the cold and the the gray, but it was actually rare that we got uh, snow, not nearly as much as the West. So, uh, you know, we'd get the snowfall mm -hmm. and then it would just sit and it'd get brown and yellow and just dingy. So I always kind of was jealous of the West side of Michigan getting the fresh powder more often. But hey, I guess it's less, less that we had to shovel and stuff. So I guess it's six and one, one half does the other. It looks good until you have to deal with it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. As a kid, it was great because, you know, you might have to shovel the driveway and that's your chore for the day. But then you get to go to a, a killer, you know, uh, uh, hill and hang out there all day and go down the hill. Yeah. So um, before we talk about uh, Havoc Shield and, and really get into it with uh, Brian, um, just want to remind our listeners that uh, they can text uh, geek out to 66866. Uh, to get show notes, get reminders, never miss an episode. So we're going to come back to Brian. And uh, before we kind of uh, dive into Havoc Shield, just want to know a little bit about you and your background. Uh, so you mentioned being a kid. What did you want to be or what did you think you were going to be doing when you grew up? Sure. Uh, yeah, so grew up in Ludington here, um, up, up here from where I live, actually in Chicago for my mom's birthday. And uh uh, it's nice to be back in the woods in the, the quiet. Uh, so yeah, kind of grew up in the woods in the quiet and having, you know, lots of hills to sled down in the winter. Uh, was always super interested in technology though. Um, was really privileged as a kid to have a computer pretty early and latched onto that thing super quick. Um, 
took after my brother, who's sort of also a, a, a techie of sorts, um, and uh, you know followed in his footsteps and getting onto the internet really, really early and leaving the modem on too long where your parents got a, a big bill at the end of the <laughs> month. But, uh, but, but learned a lot about it. Um, uh, I uh, got into the business of technology when I went to college uh, and started a website design and development firm in like the old Dreamweaver front page days uh, uh, of the, of the uh, you know, website design industry. Uh, and that brought me through college and, you know, got to cut my teeth on client management and technology and learn new programming languages and infrastructure and all that stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, had a, a few jobs in that way. Um, but, uh, you know, was always very interested, I think, in, um, uh, you know, doing things uh, that usually only experts could do as a normal person, right? Like, um you know, insurance, finance, real estate, all these things feel like really expert level topics. And in a lot of ways, of course they are. We need our experts. We need our people who, um, you know, are, are the go-tos. But um, I always thought that it was um, a waste of, of resources and opportunity to leave a lot of people out in the cold just because they didn't know everything. And so my career has been a lot of... Um, sort of trying to democratize access to different, uh, you know, expert industries. So my last startup that I started was uh, uh, one in real estate. Uh, we kind of took the model of, you know, Kickstarter, where you invest fractionally in large projects. And we applied that to allowing you to invest in real estate rehab projects, a company called Patch of Land that, you know, we started on the back of the 2012 Jobs Act that allowed, you know, general solicitation and became modern day crowdfunding. You know, and that allowed, you know, my mom and dentists and software engineers and, and folks like that to invest in real estate, which is traditionally a pretty hard thing to do. And, um, you know, that that kind of carried me through uh, my, my passion and looking for other opportunities. And, uh, uh, you know, that kind of led me into Havoc Shield because security, uh, you know, cybersecurity and, you know, now um, participating much more heavily in the insurance space as well uh complex industries that are hard to break into and, and understand sometimes and hard to get the benefits if you really don't know what you're doing or in a lot of cases have the money to 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 employ those sort of expert level um resources especially when it comes to defending your company from from cyber attacks uh and that really came out um in spades when i had a a, a job in between my last startup and this one where uh, I was working for a company that made data science software for Fortune 500s and uh, political institutions, and so not only was, was I guy was I the sort of most technical executive as the VP of engineering in rooms trying to convince you know, these large companies that we had done enough as a small startup, you know, from a security standpoint to win their business, um, but I also inherited cybersecurity in front of the 2018 midterm elections, um, which you know as we all sort of know stateside was a, a uh, a, a juicy area for cyber attacks um, against political institutions. And we held about nine out of every 10 national political campaign strategy hubs in our software. So we were, we were a big target. Um, so I got to work with, uh, you know, a lot of really excellent, expensive people and saw that, you know, my peers in small businesses didn't have the same types of access. And so what we tried to do with Havoc Shield is kind of democratize that. Uh, I like to say what we 
um, what we're doing is kind of like what TurboTax did for tax prep, you know, taking this ultra complex topic area that you must be good at, you must do, and turn it into a step-by-step -step plan. I love it. Now, thanks for walking us through that, Brian, and um, just a, a fascinating uh, career trajectory. So um, yeah, I'm curious, I want to uh, dive a little bit just on this um, kind of, you know, the technology, but then um, the, the the expertise, so like real estate, right? Insurance, like these are very complex markets. So how do you, as a technologist, when you look at, at entering an industry, like what do you do to try to understand um, that industry? I'm sure we have a lot of um, aspiring technologists, entrepreneurs, and others that may be thinking about starting their own insurance hack and are looking for ways to kind of break into the industry. And so I'm just, you know, do you have like a, a tried and true technique or, or kind of a process that you go through when you're trying to familiarize yourself with an industry like insurance? Yeah, I think it's a bit of, um, it's kind of a T-shaped discovery process, right? Like uh, go broad and kind of see what's out there. Um, and then, you know, choose the areas where you really dive deeper when, when they kind of uh, clamp onto you when you're really interested in them or, or when you need to know uh, based off of what you're doing. Um, I think like as a precursor requirement, you just have to be interested in that industry and what, what it's doing and what the problems are and who the, who the personalities are in the industry, right? Like I, bought, I was telling you before we started recording, I, 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 I bought your book, uh, your, your audio book actually, cause I was driving up to Michigan for our car ride and, and listen to that, right? Like I still have a ton to learn in, in insurance. Um, I'm a technologist, right? And insurance was a, a new industry when we entered it for, for us um, and still have a ton to learn. So I think like you, as a precursor, you have to be interested, you know, to, 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 to do it. Um, and then, yeah, I'm just a voracious listener of people who have interesting perspectives. So listen to a lot of podcasts, you know, listen to your book. Um, and then, uh, you know, I think one thing that's been, been, pretty helpful is just to put myself in the hot seat, uh, and, and do it. Uh, you know, you, you, you learn best by saying, Hey, I want to, I want to go on some podcasts and talk to some really smart people about insurance. And I learned just as much about these as, you know, hopefully I'm, you know, helpful to your listeners, uh, when, when we talk. Um, and that, that means sometimes you're going to have some embarrassing, well, I have no idea. I have no comment on that types of things. You know, I certainly have done that in the past, but you know, trial by fire, you learn fast. Um, and then I've never been, uh, I've never been shy about just cold emailing smart people, you know, people who they're the, this, the, the CEO at Aon, you know, total example. Uh, but like people who you think you would never be able to get in contact with, or who would never spend two minutes, much less, you know, half an hour with you. They are so willing in most cases to take your call and, you know, do a little mentoring or answer some questions. Um, email has like on uh, as a bane of all of our existence, of course, but uh, but is also you know uh, a key to unlock a lot of connections with powerful, intelligent people that you you couldn't usually connect to. And that's been um, a tool that I've used as I've moved through different industries to try to accelerate my my knowledge. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever read Tim Ferriss's The Four Hour Work Week, but uh... 
he mentions exactly that uh, in there as kind of one of his techniques. And I know he's even mentioned he's taught like MBA courses at top universities and he'll like challenge the students of like, you know, who's the most important person that, you know, one of you in the room can, can get access to and start a conversation with. And so it is kind of, I think you're right. There's this tendency to kind of, you know, we know these people are busy, right. We don't want to intrude and, and, um, but at the same time, I think a genuine request like that, um, that gets filtered through all the different requests that they get, particularly like sales, right. <laughs> kind of solicitations that they get yeah. or whatnot, like a, a genuine request yep. for, for knowledge, um, and, and assistance is, um, yeah, you'll get a, you won't always get a response of course, but yeah, more often than you might think. So that's, that's awesome. Well, um, yeah, it's, so it's exciting for them. So I'm really fascinated, Brian, like, you know, you kind of mentioned, right. <clears throat> you know, kind of coming into the technology space and, and opening up areas like real estate and democratizing. I love that term. Right. Um, and then you talked about kind of working for, um, you know, protecting some of the, the, um, software that's, you know, managing elections, right. From, so I'm sure you saw like a ton of threats and now kind of what you're doing at Havoc Shield of, of taking some of that knowledge that you had against a large platform, right. And, and, using that to assist small businesses with threats that they probably don't know, like, okay, we know the Russians are trying to hack the, the, the U S elections, but I'm sure there's a lot of small businesses that aren't thinking that the Russians are out to get them. Right. So maybe just walk us through, like, what are the types of mm -hmm. threats that you saw, um, in that job kind of managing, you know, protecting the integrity of our elections. And then what of those threats like are relevant for small businesses that they might not even be aware of. Yeah, no, that's a great question. So obviously I saw some more sophisticated attacks than maybe your average small business will see in their, their lifetime. Um, but we also saw all of the attacks that small businesses, I think are undereducated um, uh, about, you know, that, that do target them. So, you know, on the, on the state sponsored side, you, you'd get sophisticated stuff that you really need a, a strong security team enterprise grade tools, uh, playbook, people watching, all that sort of good stuff um, to defend against those things. But those businesses are just like a, a small minority uh, against the huge bulk of, you know, um, you know, just employee account revenue that comes from small businesses, right? And uh, the, the activity on the web that small business startups uh, represent. Um, and so the, the crossover, I guess, that I would say we, we see most often and that I saw with that job as well um, is what you'd call spray and pray attacks. So um, there's just a ton of free, open source, easy to use uh, software out there that, you know, your bored teenager can get a hold of and, and they do. Uh, and it's super cheap to run some of these scanners that tell you different websites that have vulnerabilities that you can exploit and ports that are open and easy to guess passwords and, you know, what have you. And, uh, those things are run and mass all the time by both professional hacking groups who are out there for, uh, financial gain. Um, those are run by states, you know, or nations um, to penetrate and grow their 
foothold inside a foreign nation um, so that they can take action faster and be less, you know, able to be shut down. Um, and also just, you know, by, by activists or bored teenagers. In any fashion, um, if you've not taken the sort of fundamental steps, making sure your software is patched, your website's up to date, your password requirements are strong, multi-factor authentication is turned on, you train your staff how to you know, watch out for these things, um, then you will get hit by one of these scans, these, these spray and pray attacks that are fast and cheap and easy to run. And that's when it gets dangerous is when they say, oh, I found, you know, this small business's website and uh, I see they're collecting, you know, credit cards or, um, you know, it's uh, medical in nature. Maybe it's a small, you know, health practice or something like that. Um, you know, you end up on a list and then that is when you do start getting targeted attacks. So these spray and pray attacks go out there and find the vulnerable folks. And then you end up on a list. Um, and then, you know, they've got lots of tools that, you know, try to exploit what they found or, you know, you're going to get poked and prodded from other sides too, you know, with malicious emails and phishing and social engineering attacks or, you know, something technical. Um, and no matter what you hold, there's usually now something of value for an attacker to, to attack you with, you know, that the, the, the story of the day for the last few years has been ransomware. It doesn't matter what you have, they're going to stop your business. Um, and then you're out of, you're out of work, right. And you're, you're facing, uh, climbing ransomware payment. So, you know, while I saw a lot of sophisticated attacks, um, what I think most of us are facing, uh, are these types of spray and pray, you know, social engineering types of attacks just like you're receiving, you know, these scam phone calls, trying to convince your, 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 you know, elderly mom and dad to give them the social security number. I mean, it's the same types of. Yeah. So <clears throat> that is kind of where I want to dive in a little bit more in terms of, um, yeah, I think from a small business owner, obviously you've got so much on your plate, right. And you have to be, you know, the HR team and the finance team and, you know, you're managing your employees, you're managing your operations, you probably are an expert in whatever domain that you've started your business, but there's all these ancillary things that you're not an expert in. Cyber protection, I'm sure is one of those. So um, tell us a little bit about like, you know, what is Havoc Shield? And you kind of mentioned this TurboTax analogy for small business, which I'm sure I know I mm -hmm. am a faithful TurboTax consumer. And <laughs> some people are like, oh, you don't need to use it or whatever. But I'm like, gosh, they make it so easy. It's such a, a, a painful thing. I usually always owe a, you know, a, a small amount. I'm never getting money back. So I wait to the last minute to do it. And uh, I'm just yep. thankful for kind of the ease of the process, even though it takes several hours, you know, and obviously you've got to have all your documents kind of with you, but they do make it very, very simple and easy of what can be a complicated process. So yeah, what, you, what is your kind of offering at Havoc Shield? How do you support small businesses trying to protect against these attacks? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I got to say, Rob, I was glad that the tax date was the, the 18th. <laughs> yeah, me too. The 15th, I, <laughs> I definitely took totally forward forgot, forgot on the 15th. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, they've done a really nice job um, taking a complex must do job uh, that usually, uh, you know, in the past you've got to hire, um, 
you know, an accountant who might be booked for weeks in advance, right? Like if I had to do that still today, I would have missed my, my tax filing, right? Um, and they turned it into something that you can kind of self-serve, right? They ask you the right questions, they, they direct you in the right places, they integrate the right tools um, to, to make it easier on you. Um, and what you'd said there about all of us as business owners, yeah, we all have day jobs, right? Like uh, um, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, two people or 200 people, like we have roadmaps we got to get to, we've got operations we've got to attend to. And um, in most of these companies, there is no security person, right? Like these people start at 250K a year to start. If you can find them, right? right. Um, and it, the, the stat, it might have changed a little bit from, from when I last looked, but it, globally, there's like a 3 million person cybersecurity job gap. There's, wow. there's 3 million more jobs in cybersecurity than people to fill them. So as a small business, you're probably gonna have a hard time finding them. Um, you look at contractors, like uh, you know, to help me, uh, you know, defend my business. Um, they're booked for months in advance, and they're still pretty expensive, right? And a lot of us just we don't have the fundamentals in place, the pillars, um, because we think that well, we maybe just don't need to. You know, we're we're not going to get targeted. So we just have the conversation about like, yeah, you are being targeted. Um, but there are a bunch of other accelerating triggers, I guess that I would say, of why a small business nowadays needs to be much more serious about their, you know, cybersecurity than than ever before. One is uh, customers, right? So you've got customers of yours who more and more see small vendors as uh, security threats. You know, the target hack when everybody's credit card got given out. Uh, was because of an HVAC vendor that had you know access to their network to control their air conditioning, small business. Um, and so a lot of these larger businesses are now forcing their small vendors to answer pages of cybersecurity <laughs> questions in order to, to get the business. And they'll usually slam in right at the last minute, right? Like, they're, they, you got the deal, negotiated the terms, we're all good, but by the way, you got to go through this compliance team before we write you the check, you know? and you, you, your hair lights on fire. Um, that, that's a trigger. Insurance is another trigger, right? So because of loss ratios uh, and, and, and other things, you know, cyber liability policies have turned from, you know, two requirements and a wink to 20 and approve it, right? Um, and so if you want coverage in the case of an attack um, to, to transfer that risk, you, you already gotta be good at your cybersecurity program. Um, so there's just a lot more triggers nowadays than there used to be. And so you have to do it. But then it comes back to, yeah, we've all got our day jobs. We can't spend money on security. No one besides people in security want to be good at security, right? You, you want to protect your business. You want to get the insurance policy. You want to get the big customer. Um, so, you know, what I saw out of my, my previous history and then as I talked for several months to my peers in similar positions, you know, people in operations positions and small businesses or, you know, CTOs and startups, folks like that. They said, I know that this is something we got to do, but I don't have the time. I don't have the money. Um, and I'm just kind of have to accept that this is a, a, a drag on our business right now. Um, and if I get attacked, I have no idea what we're going to do about it. So we thought we should solve that. Um, and uh, what Havoc Shield is, is it's a cybersecurity program that's built specifically for those small businesses. And what we do is similar to how TurboTax asks you, you know, questions like, are you married or did you move recently? We ask you the right questions to curate a professional cybersecurity program and plan 
to your business, your industry, what data you hold, how big you are, those kinds of things. And then it's not just a plan, we bring in all the tools. So if you don't have backups in place, we have an integrated backup provider that helps you back up your files. So if you get hit with ransomware, you can quickly recover. Um, we have antivirus, anti-malware. We help you train your staff. We do the same types of scans that those attackers do so that we can catch the vulnerabilities before they do and you can fix them, right? So we, we pull all of these tenants of a professional cybersecurity program into place, things that you would normally have to go out, find and pay for yourself. And, and a lot of things that we can pay for because we have large numbers of customers uh, but you as a small business would never be able to afford right enterprise grade really sophisticated tools and then we do what TurboTax did we we simplify it we don't use any jargon uh we you know put you into a plan you always know what button to click next um, and at the end of the day you can prove it all so you can prove it to your your customer with a report that says we've done all these things you can prove it to your insurance provider uh, and obviously you can prove it to yourself and your board and your investors uh, you know, that, that you've done enough when it comes to protecting your, your assets. There's so much in that it's, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, obviously within sure tech geek podcast, I'm happy to, to geek out a little bit, but, you know, you made several good points here, uh, Brian, one is, um, I think the threat is probably, you know, never been higher, right. For small businesses. And I do think a lot of small businesses have, have really, survive quite frankly in the past of saying, well, you know, I, I'm not the biggest target out there. And so, you know, I'll probably get overlooked. Um, and there's just this kind of systematic nature to these scans and, and, and looking for uh, vulnerabilities that you mentioned that I think a lot of um, people don't appreciate before the sophistication of both the software and the actors. Yes, there's always those teenagers out there, right? But the tools that they have are more sophisticated and as well as um, some of the more organized activities. And then uh, the ransomware piece of this, right? The fact that they can completely shut down your website, um, you know, steal your data or whatnot, like really, you know, hamper your business until you pay up. And I know in particular in talking with um, other organizations, including governmental organizations like local municipalities have really gotten hit by this and others. And so they're very similar in terms of uh, to small businesses in terms of not necessarily having the expertise or the resources to be able yep. to pay, right. To protect. And it's like, Hey, if you can't issue driver's license or you can't issue, you know, um, <laughs> uh, certain, certificates or, or documents, right. That governments do like that. And you've got to pay this ransomware to be able to even function as a government or a small business. And then thirdly, like you said, it's like, Hey, if you are a small business that does, um, that is B2B, right. That's selling to other larger businesses. I've been on that side where I was the large business and I, I, from a business perspective, it's like, I didn't even want to do business with a small business until they kind of passed that security audit from it because it was like, you know, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't want to get too far along in the process. I wouldn't want to get our hopes up, right. In terms of what was possible to negotiate a deal until I even knew that I had that assurance from our IT security team that you passed the governance and they had that conversation, you know, you're shocked to comply and all this stuff. Right. Absolutely. Because if not, it's like, uh, I don't want to even yep. get excited about it because we, I know we're not going to be able to do business with you. And so, um, like you said, like all of those elements, it's, 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 it's probably a much more important, um, topic and, and thing that you need to focus on as a small business. It was even five, 10 years ago, it's, it's been around for a while. It's been important for a while, but I just feel like the stakes are, are heightened. Um, so when you do that kind of yeah. audit and you kind of talk about this merging of cyber liability and, and cybersecurity, like 
maybe help us out. It feels like you're, you're, you're giving them guidance. You're putting together a plan. Like you're actually actively helping to harden their systems and, and make them more secure. But at the same time, you also are offering, um, coverage, right. In, in case there is a breach or some protection there. So maybe kind of walk us through like both elements of the cyber liability side and the cybersecurity side. Yeah, totally. Um, so, you know, you having that position in a larger company where it's like, you know, you don't even want to start spending time on a small vendor until you understand, are they going to be able to make it past my security team? You know, what we recognized with stories like that is that there's problems beyond just the small businesses, problems in the ecosystem, right? So as that large business, like you want to work with innovative small vendors, um, you know, you can, you can do a lot more faster with them in, in a lot of cases. Um, but that leaves you going, okay, well, if they don't have their security tied up, I, I guess I'm sitting here coaching them through what EDR means and MF, how to turn on MFA, right? Like that's not your job. And, uh, um, so what we recognize is um, we are highly differentiated in the way that we can help um, non-experts do the homework behind these types of requirements. So instead of just saying, hey, small vendor, you know, your security is not together, we can't work with you. What if you could provide them a plan that had modules sitting inside it that directly mapped to the requirements that that compliance team inside your large business has? Great, like what an awesome partner, right? That that small vendor would say, okay, they do, they're helping me do the homework behind all the things that I need to do to actually work with them. And as a compliance team, hey, you've, you've, you've gotten comfortable with if they do these things, they meet our requirements, you can just speed up the rate at which you can get those folks past compliance, right? Everyone wins. And so we have some of those relationships in, in the, the, the relationships between larger and smaller businesses and exactly that. And what we recognized with insurance is that, you know, given the events of the last several years, um, given the loss ratios, which are just stubbornly hard to get down, um, the requirements have really kicked up, right? And small, uh, purchasers are accelerating in share of policyholders. Uh, the demand is there. The CAGR rate is super high. It's like a 21% CAGR rate in cyber liability. It is a modern in-demand policy that brokers need to sell. Even your your regional small, like someone sitting here in Lunnington, an agency here in Lunnington, they, they need to start selling that, right? Like people are asking for it. But they're kind of stuck in between a rock and a hard place um, because you know, these carrier requirements, or if they're working with a wholesaler MGA, you know, whatever level they're working with, the, the requirements have gone from, you know, what I said earlier, kind of two and a wink to, to 20. And in some cases, you got to actually prove it too. Um, so what we actually thought is, um, we would like to put the, the, the brokers and MGAs and wholesalers in the driver's seat. We are not an insurer ourselves. So we actually don't have any insurance product on our end. What we're doing is we're partnering with, I'm just going to, generally say brokers, uh, you know, independent brokers, brokerages who are sitting here trying to coach their small uh, you know, business applicants through what DKM and SPIF and MFA mean and all of this different stuff that, you know, they don't understand in most cases either. Uh, and that costs a lot of time. And, uh, and then on the other end, because of all of these requirements and the fact that most of these small businesses haven't done those things, they go away for weeks or months at a, on end and your pipeline just slows way down, right? And so we can solve those two things, right? We can, we built products on top of our 
software and our um, our ability to make jargon turn into plain language. Um, we built software to point you and your uh, your your insurance applicant at to help them understand what the requirements mean and where they stand. And we map the specific requirements that you have at a carrier level, if you work with one or multiple. So it's exactly what you need to do, not just some general thing. Um, so it, it decreases the coaching time you have to spend by at least 50%. Um, and you can do it with them or they can do it by themselves. And then the other side is, okay, now I know where I stand. Um, I know that I have 50% of these things unmet, which is kind of what we roughly see. Um, I need help doing the homework behind those things. So, okay, well, now you got to help them find a MSP or a, another outside provider, or they got to figure out how to do it this, themselves. And as a trusted advisor, you really want to offer better resources and uh, not just be the guy who writes the policy, right? You want to be their advisor. You want to make sure that they have the resources in place. Um, and so we developed um, a custom program um, that takes all of the the sort of parts of what we do, rolling up the vendors, making the security configuration changes, getting the right policies in place with you know professional attorney written security policies, whatever those things are, um, we put your brand on it. We give you all the collateral that you need to tell your clients about it. We train your producers on how to introduce it. And at the end of the day, when your customers have the five things that they need to do, we can take that and we can turn it from 14 days, 30 days, however long your, your applications are outstanding, we can do it in two. So, you know, we take that homework that needs to be done, we put it right in front of them, and then your policy comes back or your application comes back, you got all yeses and you got the proof, right? Uh, and so um, we think that's pretty convincing and uh, that's kind of what we're trying to do right now. That's exciting, Brian, because um, you're right, you know, obviously agents of brokers, the clients are coming to them saying, I need this coverage, right? And whatever markets that they might've placed them with in the past, um, we know it's a hard market. We know premiums are going up. We know underwriting requirements are becoming more stringent. And so, you know, we're seeing a lot of non-renewals out there. So, yeah, you're kind of in this this tough spot of, hey, my client needs this coverage. They may have had it previously, but I can't place it with the same carrier, right? And I don't know where to turn and I don't know um, how to guide them. Like you said, they're not an expert either. So you have the small business that's not an expert and you've got this agent or broker that isn't an expert. They just know what the carriers are requesting. Right. Um, and so how do you bridge that gap? And, and to, it sounds like you've got the ability to kind of white label, right. Where it's coming from them. It's a value added service to that business. And so just being there for the client and getting them, um, in a position where they can find coverage, um, where they can, you know, kind of demonstrate right their insurability to the carriers that have very limited capacity and are only um, taking bets on the the safest risks out there. I, I think that makes a, a lot of sense. And like you said, it's like, well, if you can't find a market today, it's like, you're just kind of turning away. Like, sorry, you know, I can't help you. Right. And, and then you kind of don't know where they come yep. or like you wait for them to come back. And so you said like a way to kind of close that gap, I think in a way that I think, um, is going to be an easy, it's going to be a nice experience, right. For those businesses to walk through, like you said, kind of that step-by-step, -step, right. Um, rather than just a, you know, checklist what they may be handing today, or I don't know what folks are doing. So that's fantastic. Um, so as we wrap up and we, we pivot to news, Brian, like, um, for listeners of the podcast, like who are you looking to partner with? Who would you love to, to hear from? How should people reach out to you if they want to learn more about Havoc Shield? Yeah. Uh, 
we are super passionate about being good partners uh, and we know that we should be talking to people rather than trying to point them at a website. Um, and so uh, just email me. It's brian at havocshield.com, uh, B-R-I-A-N, right way to spell Brian. Uh, just kidding. Uh, but, um, you know, what we're trying to do is is uh, is um, help all, all, all portions of the ecosystem. And so if you're an independent broker who, you know, you're, you're, you're struggling to coach your your insureds through these requirements and your pipeline slowed down, we can help a ton. Um, if you're a wholesaler or MGA, MGU that is seeing these problems and your members are asking for help, you know, we can help at that level too. Fantastic. Um, well, I definitely hope that uh, we have some folks out there in listener land that uh, could benefit from, from Havoc Shield and we'll reach out to you. So. Well, I've got a couple of two uh, news items this week that caught my eye. Um, the first is Alain uh, raised 183 million euros. So they're a French health insurance startup. Um, and so they uh, raised money as part of their Series E. And I know this is really big for um, the European insurtech community. And I saw a lot of uh, chatter and uh, celebration Um uh, from folks that I know over there. Um, so they had several uh, well-known investors that uh, participated in uh, the round. The startups attracted 300,000 members across 15,000 companies, now gener generates an analyzed revenue of uh, 200 million euros. Um, and it's looking to achieve profitability by 2025. Uh, and interestingly enough, in February, they announced Alan as a service, which is an enterprise offering for insurance companies that allows health insurers to leverage their tech to offer um, the health insurance uh, carriers a modern differentiating and 100% digital experience. So we've seen this before where companies are both kind of um, competing and cooperating with uh, firms in their space. So uh, quite, quite interesting and congratulations to the folks at Alan. And then uh, the second article that caught my eye was uh, from the insurance, and that was from Coverager, by the way. And uh, the next one was from Insurance Journal, and uh, we haven't talked about him in quite some time, but Warren Buffett uh, was in the news. Uh, this is a headline, State Farm Still Wins. Buffett talks auto insurance at the annual uh, Berkshire Hathaway a shareholders event. And uh, I kind of found this quote very interesting from Buffett. He says, quote, the largest auto insurance company in the U.S. was started over in Illinois by a guy who didn't know anything about insurance particularly. And it's a mutual company. It's not even supposed to succeed in capitalism. Um, and State Farm is actually going to be celebrating 100 years uh, in June 6th. Um, so it's interesting. He said, uh, we will see five years from now or 10 years from now, whether Geico or Progressive will pass State Farm to be the number one uh, insurer. Um, but it was very interesting. I know he had some comments to really downplaying uh, Bitcoin. And uh, so anyway, there's a lot of a uh, lot of newsworthy comments that folks on Twitter and elsewhere had really picked up from Buffett's comments. So I definitely encourage folks to uh, you know, read some of those summaries. Uh, always interesting. Any thoughts on uh, Warren Buffett, Brian, and uh, some of these comments? Any thoughts? I know he's getting up there in age. He's still obviously makes a lot more money than you and I probably, but uh, a lot of people have been saying he's been losing yeah. it for a time, but he, he's not shy about giving his opinion. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. He makes just a little bit more money, but uh, uh, you know, my, my big thing is uh, 
you know, the guy's been able to show he, he picks winners through so many different cycles. Disagree with him on uh, on cryptocurrency as a as a portfolio option. Uh, obviously, I'm a bit younger though, so I got I got some uh, some uh, opinions there. But uh, I mean, props to State Farm for for doing what they're doing. I'm not Alan uh, uh, Ray's. I think it's particularly cool that a, a big portion of their raise was. Uh, you know the, the the venture arm of the Ontario teachers pension plan, right? So yeah, these are fascinating. this is a this is a pension plan out there for teachers. My wife, uh, until very recently, used to be a teacher. It's very cool to see these old school kind of what you would think of stuck in their way pension plans having venture arms now and investing in technology companies. And that's really great. Yeah. That caught my eyes. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause uh, that, that, that was uh, maybe not the source that I would have expected. Um, so you've got right yeah. this Canadian teachers <laughs> pension plan that's uh, investing in this large European uh, insured health insure tech. So uh, anyway, well, I want to thank my guest, uh, Brian Fritton from Havoc Shield for joining us today. It was a great conversation and uh, best of luck going forward, Brian. Thanks a ton, Rob. Appreciate it. This has been the InsureTech Geek podcast uh, powered by JB Knowledge. That's jbknowledge.com. It's all about transforming and disrupting the insurance world. I've been your host, James Benham. That's jamesbenham.com with co-host Rob Galbraith. That's endofinsurance.com. Big thanks to Jim Greenlee, our podcast producer, Kara Dalton-Alro, our creative producer. And thank you for joining us today. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech. So enjoy the ride and geek out. See you next time.